0: Well, good morning. It's great to see you guys today. We have a, a really cool opportunity to, to continue our journey with Joseph as we learn about this whole dreaming process. And we, we pick up where, where we've left off. But for those of you who, who this may be your first time, I want to give you the, the quick kind of catch-up version of what's been happening. We started following the dream of Joseph, and Joseph's dream was that his brothers would bow to him that he would be their prince and they would bow to him now as a younger brother that made the older brothers not too happy and so joseph has this dream and he tells his brothers and they get kind of disgruntled and upset and they let him know it and then he has a dream again only this time even bigger version of it and he he doesn't learn from his mistake and he shares it with them again he's even more excited and of course they're even less excited And they throw him in a cistern, a a water well, and then they trade him off and sell him as a slave. And then he upsets his his master and gets thrown into prison. That's where we pick up with him today. So if you will, pull out your Bibles and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Excuse me. Turn to Genesis chapter 40. Genesis chapter 40 is on page 330. Three and we pick up with Joseph in jail. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream at the same night. Each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials, who were in custody with him in his master's house, Why are your faces so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there was no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, In my dream I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift, you, will lift up your head and restore you to your position, as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison, for I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon." Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday. He gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker just as Joseph said to them in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Forgotten. So here we have Joseph. And he's had this dream that his brothers would bow down, that he would become the prince among his brothers. And so far in his mind, nothing has transpired to get him any closer to that. In fact, he's gone from being a brother to being entrapped, to being a slave, to being in prison. So none of this in any way, shape, or form has anything to do with, in his mind, his dream being fulfilled. Maybe that's something you can relate to just a little bit. I know it's something that the Israelites could relate to. If you take Joseph's story and you fast forward it several years, several generations, you've got got Joseph and all of his brothers, which become the nation of Israel there in Egypt, enslaved. And their dream is the promised land. And they know that they've got to go through from Egypt to get to the promised land. There's all this wilderness in between. You can't escape the wilderness. You've got to go through it. So they go through and they get to the end of the wilderness in a relatively short amount of time and they look out over the promised land. And they send out a, a, a handful of people to scout it out. Let us know what it's all about. And they come back and the scouts, they say, you, you're not going to believe how amazing it is over there. I mean, this is the promised land, but it's even better than we've been hoping for. The, the, the produce and the abundance is just overwhelming. It's amazing. There's a catch. There's giants, there's amazing armies and fortified cities, and there's no way that we wouldn't be able to go there and just get annihilated. And so all of the faith and the trust that they've built from the time of leaving Egypt to the time of getting to the doorstep of their dream, they're still filled with doubts and fears, and God turns them around and He says, okay, I'm going to have you spend for every one day or 40 days that you spent looking around the promised land, for every day that you were there, I'm going to add a year on to your time in the wilderness. Forty years, you guys are going to have to wander around. Everybody, if even more than that, everybody who's 20 years old and over, I mean, let me see you, raise your hand. If you're 20 or older, you all die. <laughs> you're not even going to see it. Can you imagine the guy who just had his 20th birthday? He's like excited and then he gets that news and like, oh, man, that stinks. Now, when you're in that kind of situation and you're facing the wilderness that's barren and and hurtful and difficult, it's easy to forget your dream. In fact, Joseph forgot his dream. Because later in Joseph's story, we hear that there's something happens and Joseph remembers his dream. So the prerequisite to remembering your dream is that you first have to forgotten it. So he forgot his dream. It's easy to do in the wilderness. Maybe you're in the wilderness right now. You know what it feels like. Life is hard. It's really hard. And it's filled with aches and pains. Some problems that you have are things that that you have done and you're paying for them and consequences, just natural consequences. Some of the things are just things that happen in life. Sickness and disease. It hurts. It's hard. And it can seem like there's no light at the end of the tunnel. And it can be really easy to lose or forget your dream. Or maybe even worse, just to think it's just a dream. Maybe you're there right now. Maybe you're there. I've been there. I've lived life in the wilderness, and and I understand and I know the difficulties that come with that. The hopelessness that come with that, the questions that enter into your mind, that are are filled with your time in the wilderness, that it hurts. It hurts. Well, I want to tell you about another dreamer that's in the Bible, and if you don't remember anything else for today, I want you to remember this dreamer and his dream. If you would turn to keep, uh, yeah, turn to Matthew chapter four. Matthew chapter four. If you've got one of these Bibles, it's on page. 682, 682. And we're going to flip around a little bit, so keep a finger or a bookmark or your kid next to you somewhere in that page so you don't lose it. I want to tell you about this dreamer. This dreamer's name is, is Jesus. And he has an amazingly enormous dream. And his dream is for you. His dream is all about you. And see, the dream doesn't depend on how bad you've been or how good you've been or the life that you've lived. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with you. Jesus' dream is this, that He knows your heart. He knows the, the guilt and the shame and the brokenness that's inside. He knows. And His heart breaks for yours. See, he, he understands that, that you and I, when we make mistakes, we understand that we deserve punishment. There, there's some amount that, of us inside that likes to hang on to at least an ounce of shame when we do something wrong so that we feel like we deserve, we deserve something bad because we've done something bad. And Jesus knows that the wages of sin is death, that the mistakes that we make in our lives are, come with huge consequences. But Jesus doesn't want us to have to experience those consequences. He wants to take them on Himself. That it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done, His dream is for you. His desire is to take your guilt and your shame and your pain and your suffering and your heartache upon Himself and to die with them on the cross. That's His dream. But His dream is even bigger because He doesn't just want to take away your pains, He wants to give you His righteousness. You see, Jesus is right with God. He and God are like this. There is nothing in between the Father and the Son. And He wants to give that relationship to you. So He covers you with His relationship that He has with the Heavenly Father. He takes away your pains, your hurts, your sins, your problems, and He gives you His right relationship. That's called being righteous. He gives it to you as a free gift so that you can have a full life here and an even more amazing life in eternity. That's God's dream. And there is not a single person in this room today that that dream doesn't center around. That dream is for you. So this is Jesus' dream. But just like every other dreamer, In order to get from the point where you have the dream to the point where you see the dream fulfilled, there's this big ugly space in the middle called the wilderness. In Matthew chapter 4, we find out that even our Savior, even Jesus Christ, lived life in the wilderness. But He did so differently than anybody else ever did. He experienced the wilderness perfectly. And He gives us an example to follow. So if you are in the wilderness, there are three things I want you to learn about Jesus' experience in the wilderness, to help you navigate it successfully. So turn to Matthew chapter 4, page 682. Now in the whole timeline of things, this is right after Jesus has been baptized, but before He starts His ministry. So He hasn't even selected the, the, the disciples or, or, or chosen exactly where to begin. It's starting here in the wilderness. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, and underline this if you would, in verse 4. It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Underline that, please. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with the Word of God. And He uses the Word of God to navigate successfully through the wilderness. So next to that verse that you just underlined, I want you to write these two words. This is the first lesson. Be humble. Be humble. Jesus is quoting Scripture, and I was kind of curious, where exactly were you quoting Jesus? And so it turns out that it's in Deuteronomy chapter 8. If you've got this Bible, it's page 131. So keep a finger in Matthew and a thumb in Deuteronomy, because we're going to be flipping right back and forth of those same pages. Now, Deuteronomy is the book that Moses wrote that records the a period of time right before they enter the promised land for good. The 40 years of the wilderness is over. Moses is just kind of doing a recap, quick recap of the law, of all the lessons, of all the blessings, of everything that's happened so that we remember when we enter into the fulfillment of the dream. Remember the wilderness. That's what Deuteronomy is all about. So chapter 8, verse 3. This is Moses speaking. He says, He humbled you, God humbled you, causing you to hunger And then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Be humble. God made you hungry. God gave you food. God was the one. It's easy in the wilderness to become proud. And let pride lengthen your stay in the wilderness. It's easy to think, I know what's best for me. I know the fastest way out. I know that I don't deserve this. I know, I know, I know what I want and need and deserve. Joseph started off being pretty proud. I get to be the father's favorite. I've got this fancy coat. You don't, neener, neener, neener. And his brothers start his lesson of humility. It's hard to be proud when you're in a cistern. It's harder to be proud when you're a slave. It's even harder to be proud when you're in jail. Humility is the first lesson. Israel struggled with that lesson back and forth from being, being amazed at how God had provided for them with miraculous signs and wonders to feeling pretty confident all on their own feeling pretty strong and boastful. Look at all how these enemies just crumble at our feet and then they get knocked down a peg or two to remember to be humble. It's God who is providing, who is conquering, who is mighty. How about you in your life? I know that I've definitely gone through periods where pride has gotten the best of me. And it's been those times that it hurts when God reminds us to be humble. Those are like prayers to be patient. That's a rotten thing to pray for because he teaches you patience. He doesn't just go, boom, patient. <laughs> he teaches you how to be patient with a difficult circumstance. If you say, God, make me humble, careful because <laughs> those hurt. And pride comes before the fall, and a stop at the end of the fall hurts a lot. I know. Be humble. That's the first thing to remember. If you are in the midst of the wilderness right now, is be humble. So flip back, keep your finger there in Deuteronomy, flip back to Matthew chapter 4, and we continue. The devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Get ready to underline. Chapter, or verse 7, Jesus answered him, it is also written, here's where you underline do not put the Lord your God to the test. Underline that. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Next to that, I want you to write the second lesson. Number two is trust, don't test. Trust, don't test. You know, it's easy when you're in the wilderness to say, God, let's, let's make a deal here. Have you ever made deals with God? God, if you only would shorten my stay here, I would do this. God, I tell you what, I know what's best, so I'm going to throw this option out. If you do this for me, I'm going to do this for you. God says, don't test me. <laughs> Trust me. Now, Jesus said that, and go ahead and keep your, keep your finger there and turn back to page 130. Deuteronomy chapter 6, this comes from verse 16, page 130, chapter 6, verse 16. And Moses says, do not test the Lord your God as you did at Massa. Do not test the Lord your God like you did in Massa. Well, what in the world happened to Massa? You don't have to flip there, I'll do it for you. Uh, Exodus chapter 17, verse 7. And this comes right after God has provided all the needs of Israel for food. He's given them the miracle of manna, bread fallen from heaven, waking up, and it's like dew on the ground. They collect it up, and they eat as much as they can, and they get quail. They get meat, too. They, they, it's like going out and hunting. They get all this food that's just waiting for them to receive. Just that day. Just that day. Just take enough for that day. And trust me that tomorrow I will do the same. So it's a trust game. I want you to take everything that you need. Know that it comes from me. It's yours. Eat it up. But just for today. Because trust me that I will do the same thing for you tomorrow and every day after. I want you to trust me. So they just caught that. Just got that. And they, they had the nerve to say, well, I'm thirsty. <laughs> I'm thirsty. And they start complaining. And they said, my goodness, God… I want to test you. I don't want to trust you anymore. I want to test you. If you are really there, God, then give me something to drink. God, give me something to drink or or are you even there at all? Maybe you've said that in the midst of your wilderness. God, are you even there? Do you see what's happening in my life? Do you care? God, if you're there, do something. Show me something. I'm testing you. And Moses says this, and he called the place Massa because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? And so what happens Moses talks to God and God says, okay, Moses, this is what I want you to do. I'm going to take your staff, whack the rock, water comes out of the rock, Israelite gets water. But they tested. They didn't trust. They didn't trust. You know, um, when Joseph is in the midst of being in the wilderness, he has an opportunity to trust God, to trust that God will provide for him for all his needs, for his care, for his safety, even the lessons that he needs to learn when he's in the wilderness. Just think about this. Joseph was attending a leadership seminar in the wilderness. A leadership seminar is exactly what he was going through. Because if you start with the very first time he was sold as a slave, he enters into Potiphar's house, and Potiphar recognizes that he's got some abilities and some gifts, and so he raises him up to the position of leadership in his household. He's in charge of Potiphar's entire household. Then something goes south and he gets thrown into jail. And it doesn't take very long where they're in jail, he gets elevated again to the position of leadership over all of the inmates. That's his job to oversee all the inmates, and that's how he gets into contact with the cupbearer and the chief baker, is because he's been elevated to that position of leadership, which he learns from and grows from, and ultimately becomes second command of all of Egypt. It's a leadership seminar that happens in stages. God has been providing these lessons for Joseph to learn and grow. God has also been providing the skills that he needed, namely the ability to hear, interpret dreams. He's been interpreting dreams this whole time. Even to the point where he gets elevated in Egypt. So how about you? If you're in the wilderness right now, instead of testing God, how do you need to trust him? What are the things that he is providing for you? What are the lessons that you are learning? How are you growing? Where are you being stretched? How is your faith being strengthened? What are you learning now that will prepare you for the dream to come trust don't test that gets us to our third one again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor all this I will give you he said if you will bow down and worship me Jesus said to him away from me Satan for it is written get ready to underline here's where you underline worship the Lord your God and serve him only Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Next to that, I want you to write the third lesson, is keep it real. Keep it real. If you look to where Jesus was quoting, we go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. It's on page 130 again. Chapter 6, verse 13. Moses says this, Fear the Lord your God, serve Him only. Take your oaths in His name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. Stay focused on God. Don't be distracted on all the other gods that are are there to distract you. Stay focused on God. Worship Him alone. Give Him the glory. Give Him your attention. Give Him your praise. Give Him your all. It's real easy for me when I'm in the wilderness to look for something to make me happy, something to survive with, something to get through. How about for you? Maybe you're saying, well, I worship God. I'm, I'm not Muslim, or I'm not Buddhist, I, 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 I'm Christian. But where are your other gods? The things that would lure you away from your focus on Christ and let me give you an example because we've got one in our house we've got an altar in our house and this altar is, is uh, it's kind of expensive um, it comes with a remote control uh, you turn it on and you sit Oh, and you just invest time right there on the couch just doing squat literally Is the God of, of, of entertainment The God of TV. How many of us spend way more time in front of our TV parked on the couch than we do in prayer or meditation or thoughts to God? There's another God. Some of us struggle with addictions. Maybe your other God that you go to when you're hurting is a bottle or drugs or sex. That's another God. And all of these gods, except for the one true God, all of these gods promise you happiness. Maybe fake, maybe shallow, maybe short-term and temporary, but they promise you happiness. And then in the little bottom of the screen, you see results not typical. (laughs) Because they're lies. They end up bringing more damage than good. And God says, keep it real, keep focused on me. Keep your heart on me. Keep your eyes on the cross. Keep your eyes centered on the one person who has the ability to take you out of the wilderness and bring you into your dream, into your promised land, into the fulfillment of the plans that I have for you. So this is my encouragement. If you are beginning the wilderness, if you are at the end of your wilderness, if you are anywhere in between, if you've ever been in the wilderness, if you're not now but guarantee you someday you will be again, Follow Jesus' example. Ultimately know that he and he alone was the only one who's ever navigated the wilderness successfully. So be humble when you're there. Depend on God for all that you are and all that you need. Be humble, depend on God, and keep it real. Keep your attention focused on the God who dreams for you. And know and take heart that in the middle of your wilderness, you are still the center of our Savior's dream for you. And that's a dream that means an abundant life here and now, and an even more amazing life in eternity. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we praise you for being a God who dreams, and even more than that, who dreams for each and every one of us. God, I pray for all of the souls in this room today that you would let them know and give them clear and abundant signs that you are their God who dreams for them and their salvation. God, for those of us in the midst of the wilderness, help us remember the lessons of Jesus. Help us follow his example. Give us the strength and the lessons and the courage to survive and be victorious through this wilderness to get us to the dreams that lie in front.